Welcome to First Love Online Church with Nyral and O.C. Burnett. Flock is a ministry of First Love Fellowship whose mission is to win the church to Christ through unceasing prayer, intentional discipleship, and missional living. You can support the mission of First Love Fellowship by texting 918-300-4680 or by going to our website at wearefirstlove.com. Now prepare your heart as O.C. Burnett continues her series on Absolute Surrender. What we're going to talk about today is I'm going to go back, and I spoke about this on Friday, but I didn't even touch on it. I had to go back, and I went back, and I reread the chapter again because I wanted to make sure I understood. By the way, the book is Absolute Surrender by Andrew Murray. Um, a lot of people are getting it and they're saying they're getting versions where they've added some stuff. I don't think it's, it's I think it's going to be still be the same book, but I, I, I understand you want the original, you don't want any additions or sometimes they'll redo, redo the cover, but um, just make sure it's absolute surrender and it's actually free in some platforms. I believe um, you could download it to your phone. But I like, I would recommend you having the book because when I tell you I've marked up this book, when I tell you, when I tell you, I've marked it up, okay? So one of the things we talked about is one of the good news is that you cannot do this on your own. And I want to elaborate on that. And I want to hone in on that because... If you don't understand this, you're going to get, you're going to stay in religion. You're going to try to do this on your own. You're going to try to do this on your own like you've been doing, because this is a pivotal part of what it means to walk in perpendicular, in, um, in a, a particular position with God when it comes to your walk with Jesus Christ. This is a massively you know, I, I understand why the enemy doesn't want us to understand Romans. Because the Romans, I mean, Paul deals with our walk, our lives when it comes to Romans and how we are able to overcome. And so what Andrew Murray breaks down, um, and this part I want to talk about a lot. We talked about what is impossible with man is possible with God. And we talked about when Jesus said, you know, talk to the rich ruler. And the rich ruler said, you know, he said, oh, I did every, look at this. I did all the commandments. You know, I don't want to go back and get all those scriptures. Watch the one absolute surrender part four. This is part five um, on Friday that we did. Um, he said, I, I kept all the commandments since I was a youth. Jesus said, okay, that's good. But yet you lack one thing. He said, give away all your money and come follow me. And he walked away sorrowful because he had a lot of money. And Jesus looked at the disciples and said, it's it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom. And then he says, it is easier. 
for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. And they freaked out. Like I could imagine them saying, Ew, because they're from the Middle East, near Africans, and we don't say anything quietly. <laughs> We're like, Oh my goodness, what did he just say? Then who can be saved? That's what they said. Jesus said, With man, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So, with that verse, I want you to think of the worst kind of sin that you could commit besides the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't, it takes a lot. You have to be a whole different state in order to do that, okay? That's, you know, I, I know the enemy uses that as a weapon for many Christians where they feel like they've blasphemed the Holy Spirit. If you feel bad about it, you haven't blasphemed. Okay, so, um, but I want you to think about the worst sins, the hangups, all the issues that you could ever deal with. And if you say to yourself, I could never get over this. I can never get over my alcoholism. I can never get over my drunkenness. I could never. And he said, what is impossible, listen, listen to the words. What is impossible with man is possible with God. Selah, pause and calmly think about that. You can't just, you can't just keep reading your Bible and say, oh, wow, wow, that's good. Wow, that's good. I, those days are over. You have to apply these scriptures to your life. What does that scripture means, mean in light of your walk with Jesus Christ? Okay? So, with that premise, it says here, the scripture that I want us to work, work, work on and, and, and delve into for a little bit is Romans 7. Let's go back to Romans 7. Let's go back there. Let's go back. Let's go back. Let's go back to the old time way. I'm just going to pull it up on, my, on the laptop just because of time. I'm just going to pull it up. Um, I like using my Bible, but I want all the time to do this I want all my time all my time oh this is so good and this part I, there's a part that I'm going to um, really um, talk about that I think we've missed we, you know we, we've, we've missed this part okay so it says here Romans 7 is talking about Romans 7, 24, 25. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And I'm going to break all of that down, hopefully by God's grace. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I'm going to read a little bit of what he says here. 
You know the wonderful place that this text has in the wonderful epistle to the Romans. It stands here at the end of the seventh chapter as the gateway into the eighth. In the first 16 verses of the eighth chapter, the name of the Holy Spirit is found 16 times. You have there the description and promise of the life that a child of God can live in the power of the Holy Ghost. This begins in the second verse, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made me free from the law of sin and death. From that, Paul goes on to speak of the great privileges of the child of God, who is to be led by the spirit of God. The gateway into all this is in the 24th verse of the seventh chapter. Oh, wretched man that I am. Let's, let's focus on that. Okay. Oh, this glasses. I'm going to just have to do this. <laughs> oh, wretched man that I am. There you have the words of a man who has come to the end of himself. He has in the previous verses described how he had struggled and wrestled in his own power to obey. Listen to this part. He has struggled in his own power to obey the holy law of God and had failed. But in answer to his own question, he now finds the true answer and cries, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. For then he goes on to speak of the deliverance that he has found. Okay, so I want to talk about his exclamation, oh, wretched man that I am. There are many things I wish I could kind of like have a discussion, but I can't. Um, there are many things that you could think of when, when, when you get there. And we talked about this on Friday that when you, I could imagine him in my imagination that he got to the point like, well, the good I want to do, I don't do the good that I know it's, and he's just wrestling. And then he says, Oh, wretched man that I am. And then he goes to sleep. <laughs> he's like, I don't know. But then he wakes up and, and he wakes up and says, I thank God through our Lord. Jesus Christ. That part right there, you can't skimp over. Because there is a truth there that Andrew Murray brings out that I want to harp on today. Okay? And this is so good. Because, do you know why this is so good? Because the enemy, when we fail as Christians, makes us feel like we're not saved. Do you hear me? He makes you feel like when you fall, that you're falling in a state where you don't even know God. But hold that thought. I'm so excited. Okay. There is much evidence of, okay, no, no, let me go back. Let me go back. Let me go back. It says, um, I want to make sure I give it context. We are continually warned that, oh, okay. I want from these words to describe the path by which a man can be led out of the spirit of bondage into the spirit of liberty. And we get that from the scripture of Romans 8, 15 or Galatians 5, okay? Listen, you know how distinctly it is said, you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Romans 8, 15, you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. And that word is fear of judgment. Okay. We are continually warned that this is the great danger of the Christian life to go again into bondage. 
And this bondage is this fear of judgment. And I want to describe the path by which a man can get out of bondage into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Rather, I want to describe the man himself. himself. First, these are the three things we're going to talk about. First, these words are the language of a regenerate man. Everybody say regenerate man. First, okay, these are the words. Oh, wretched man that I am is the, are the words of a regenerate. This is not an unbeliever saying that he's a wretched man. Okay, regenerate man. Okay, second of an impotent man. Third of a wretched man. And fourth of a man on the borders of complete liberty. Okay, let's deal with the regenerate man. Hmm. So Romans 7, 14 to 23. Did you notice that that is being spoken of by Paul? I mean, think about it. That was spoken of by Paul. And I guess I need to read it for people that may skip. Okay, let's read Romans 7, 14. 14 to 23. Oh, I should have a reader. Read. No. So, we know that the law is spiritual, verse 14. But I am a creature of the flesh, carnal, unspiritual. Um, do, 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 do. Having been sold into slavery under the control of sin. For I do not understand my own actions. I am baffled, bewildered. I do not practice or accomplish what I wish, but I do the very thing that I loathe. You see that? I do the very thing that I loathe, which my moral instinct condemns. Does that sound like a man that's not saved? Now, if I do habitually what is contrary to my desire, that means I acknowledge and agree that the Lord is good morally excellent and that I take sides with it. I'm reading the Amplified. However, it is no longer I who do the deed, but the sin principle, which is at home in me and has possession of me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. I can will, I can will what is right, but I cannot perform it. I said this yesterday on Friday. You should underline that. And you need to get a revelation of that. You can will, you will, you desire to do, um, what scripture was that? Uh, 18. It says, I can will what is right, but I cannot perform it. I have the intention and urge to do what is right, but no power to carry it out. Keep that in mind. For I fail to practice the good deeds I desire to do, but the evil deeds that I do not desire to do are what I am ever doing. Now, if I do what I do not desire to do, it is no longer I doing it. It is not myself that acts, but the sin principle which dwells within me, fixed and operating in my soul. So I find it to be a law, rule of action and my being, that what I want to do, what, what, when I want to do what is right and good, evil is ever present with me and I am subject to its insistent demands. That's what it does. It does demand, doesn't it? For I endorse and delight in the law of God and my innermost self with my new nature. Again, the regenerate man. 
But I discern in my bodily members and the sensitive appetites and wills of the flesh a different law, rule of action, at war against the law of my mind, my reason and making me a prisoner uh, to the law of sin that dwells in my bodily organs in the sensitive appetites and wills of the flesh. Oh, unhappy and pitiable and wretched man that I am, who will release and deliver me from the shackles of this body of death? We're going to talk about that as well. Oh, thank God. Well, I'll read that later. So, first of all, you need to understand that is a regenerate man that is talking about the sins of the flesh, the sins that he's struggling with. Apostle Paul, He's talking and dealing with the sins of the flesh that he's dealing with. It says here, it is the language of a regenerate man, a man who knows that his heart and nature have been renewed. Look at that. And that sin is now a power in him that is not himself. I delight, quote, in the law of the Lord after the inward man, unquote. That again is the language of a regenerate man. He dares to say when he does evil, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. It is of great importance to understand this. Okay. Now in the epistle of Romans, Paul deals with justification and sanctification. In dealing with justification, he lays the foundation of the doctrine of in the teaching about sin, not in the singular sense, but in the plural sins, the actual transgressions. In the second part of the fifth chapter of Romans, he begins to deal with sin, not as an actual transgression, but as a power. I know I'm moving fast. That does something to be written down because you got to understand that. Okay. He's not dealing with it just as a sin, but as an actual, but as a power. Okay. The second part of Romans five, I'm giving you a breakdown of Romans. Okay. Um, just imagine what a loss it would have been to us if we had not this second half of the sec seventh chapter of the epistle to the Romans. If Paul had omitted in his teaching, this vital question of the sinfulness of the believer, we should have missed the question we all want answered as to sin in the believer. What is the answer? The regenerate man is one in whom the will has been renewed and who can say, I delight in the law of God after the inward man. So what have we learned, boys and girls? That part is talking about sin in the life of a believer. You are regenerated. Stop questioning whether you are saved or not. Okay? You have to understand that truth in order to move on. There's more. When it comes to the word of God, you've got to build grace upon line upon line, precept upon precept, scripture upon scripture, okay? So you have to build on that, but you have to understand that before you go on. You can't stop there because then you can all of a sudden say, I don't have no sin, <laughs> which is weird. Right. Like, you know, if I'm a Christian and I sin and Jesus took it, then I don't have no. I mean, there's there so many doctrines out there right now. Like one preacher says, we first John one nine is not for the believer. We don't have to confess our sins. Foolishness. Please turn off these. OK. 
is foolishness. You don't have to make up something just because you didn't know how to overcome your sin. Because that's why we have denominations. We didn't know how to overcome our sin, so we create denominations and put an emphasis on something and say, that's it right there. This is what you're supposed to do. Instead of just going straight to the word. And we're going to talk about that too. Next, 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 next. The impotent man. Everybody say impotent man. Here is the great mistake made by many Christian people. They think that when there is a renewed will, which is what the regenerate man is, right? It is enough. But that is not the case. This regenerate man tells us, I will to do what is good, but the power to perform it, I find not. Did you catch that? I want to do good, but you don't have the power to perform it. So you can't, you can't say just because you gave your heart to Jesus that all of a sudden, all right, you got to understand what you did when you gave your heart to Jesus. And we're going to go over that. There's much more I want to talk about there. Um, but it says here, how often people tell us that if you set yourself determinedly, you can perform what you will. That's why I was talking about self-will. You, you know, if you say, okay, I'm not going to sin today. I'm going to take off my computer today. I'm going to delete all the stuff today. And you think your will, which comes from all these, this religious thing that we do, what we've been taught, we've been taught to look good in, the, in our denominations. We've been taught this is what we do in order to cover ourselves. So I got to go on that later. But it says here, but this man was as determined as any man can be, talking about Paul. And yet he made the confession to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. But you ask, how is God, how is it God makes a regenerate man utter such a confession with a right will, with a heart that longs to do good and longs to do its very utmost to love God? Let us look at this question. What has God given us our will for? Had the angels who fell in their own will the strength to stand? Verily, no. The will of the creature is nothing but an empty vessel. Listen to this. The will of the creature is nothing but an empty vessel in which the power of God is to be made manifest. In order, your will, just think of it as an empty vessel, where the power of God comes in to work what the scripture says it is God that works in you that wills in you to give you the will and to do his good pleasure I know this seems so simple I know we have a head ascent about it but we really don't understand this we don't it says you have it in the second chapter of the epistle to the Philippians and you have it here also that God's work is to work in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Everybody say to will and to do. God has not worked um, here is a man who appears to say God has not worked to do in me, but we are taught that God works both to will and to do. How is the apparent contradiction to be reconciled? 
you will find that in the passage, Romans 7, 6 to 25, in the name of the Holy, that the name of the Holy Spirit does not occur once, nor does the name of Christ occur. occur. The man is wrestling and struggling to fulfill God's law. Listen, he's struggling to fulfill. And Paul was a man of law, right? Didn't we just watch that in Superbook yesterday? <laughs> it was Paul and his conversion. He kept the law. He was a Pharisee. He was all about, that's why this is so important. Paul was all about the law. He was all about the law. Man. It says here. Instead of the Holy Spirit and of Christ, the law is mentioned nearly 20 times, 20 times. In this chapter, it shows a believer doing his very best to obey the law of God with his regenerate will. Not only this, but you will find the little words, I, me, my, occur more than 40 times. It is the regenerate I in its impotence seeking to obey the law without being filled with the Spirit. Oh, y'all. Okay. This is the experience of almost every saint. After conversion, listen to this. After conversion, a man begins to do his best and he fails. But if we are brought into the full light, we need fail no longer. No need, nor need we fail at all if we have received the spirit in his fullness at conversion. God, listen to this, listen to this. Y'all, this is good news. God allows that failure that the regenerate man should be taught his own utter impotence. It is in the course of this struggle that there comes to us this sense of our utter sinfulness. It is God's way of dealing with us. He allows that man to strive to fulfill the law that as he strives and wrestles, he may be brought to this. I am a regenerate child of God, but I am utterly helpless to obey his law. See what strong words are used all throughout the chapter to describe this condition. I am carnal sold under sin. I see another law in my members bringing me into captivity. And last of all, oh wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of this death? This believer who bows here in deep contrition is utterly unable to obey the law of God. You don't have it in you to do this from a religious standpoint. The only way covenant eyes works, the only way putting blocks on your phone, the only way you can control your anger, control your strife and your jealousy is by understanding that your regenerated, your regenerated self does not have the ability to do this on your own. Now what we've done in Christendom is erected different things 
to help you do this in your flesh. No earrings, long dresses, hair down to here. Don't watch this. Don't do this. Don't do this. So you do all of that? Do you know that in the Vatican, that there are, there's a whole cemetery full of dead babies because the priests are sleeping with the nuns. They hide their sin and abort the babies and they're buried because they've been told you must not get married you must not do this. And you go into these things with your flesh on fire. And it doesn't matter how much you cover yourself up. Lust does not care whether or not you have the longest dress on. Does not care. Do you see how far we've fallen? And yet we still band-aid don't wear this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And we try to do it in our own religiosity. Now I know, you know, that I am not saying you should not do that. You know better. That's not what I'm talking about. But you cannot do all of that. All the stuff that we, be, I was raised Pentecostal, y'all. There were no, you couldn't wear pants. You couldn't wear jeans. You couldn't wear, there were certain things. You couldn't wear makeup. You couldn't do nothing. But guess what? Sin was rampant in my youth group. Rampant. <laughs> like rampant. Because that didn't stop the flesh. It didn't. So we have all these denominations saying that this is what you're supposed to do, this is what you're supposed to do, and rent people rife with sin, all in the denominations, rife, full of sin, rampant, because we haven't gotten to the point. Where, or you get to the point where you say, oh, wretched man that I am, and you don't, you don't move from there, so you're in, you, you either go every which way except God's way. I'm going to cover myself up. I'm going to be a five percenter. Hebrew Israelite. That whole thing is just about covering up. You can't keep yourself, so you have to come up with rules on how to control yourself and control others around you to be a Hebrew Israelite. It's a sad place to be. It's actually sad to even be in these denominations. It's the grace of God that he has allowed denominations to exist for the sake of the wheat that are among the tares. That's it, y'all. Doesn't mean he approves of it. Because we take, you know, John Wesley did not wake up and say, you know, we're just going to do Methodist or United Methodist. Or every disagreement comes up, we come up with a new denomination. When he says he's made us one new man. One new man. Not six men, one new man, Jew and Gentile. That's it. So 
right here. Oh, so do you have the impotent man that you don't have the power to live this life? You don't, you don't, but there's good news and you have to understand that and stop trying to do it your way in order for you to be free. But we'll get to that. Not only is the man, and we're going to talk about the wretched man who makes this confession, a regenerate and an impotent man, but he's also a wretched man. He's utterly unhappy and miserable. And what is that? What is it that makes him so utterly miserable? It is because God has given him, given him a nature that loves himself, that loves God. Did you hear that? He's given him a nature that loves God. And you know it's because of the love of God. That's why you're miserable when you sin. So when you think about it, you know, when you sin, you think, oh, my God, I don't love God. If you're miserable about it. It's because God is the one that put it in you so that you won't be comfortable in your sin because you love him. He is deeply wretched because he feels he is not obeying his God. He says with brokenness of heart, it is not I that do it, but I am under the awful power of sin, which is holding me down. I'm telling you, this is the answer to deliverance. Do y'all hear this? It is I, and yet not I. Alas, alas, this is why Christians need deliverance. This is how deliverance comes. It is I, yet not I. Alas, alas, it is myself. So closely am I bound up with it, and so closely it, is it intertwined with me, with my very nature. Blessed be God when a man learns to say, O wretched man that I am, from the depth of his heart, he is on his way to the eighth chapter of Romans. It says here, there are many who make this confession a pillow for sin. This is what I was telling you. They say that Paul had to confess his weaknesses and helplessness in this way. What are they that they should try to do better? <laughs> so the call to holiness is quietly set aside. Would God that every one of us had learned to say these words in the very spirit in which they are written here. When we hear sin spoken of as the abominable thing that God hates, do not many of us wince before the word? With that, all Christians would go on sinning and sinning, would take the verse to heart. If ever you utter a sharp word, talking about you don't know how to control your tongue and you tell somebody off. Sharp word is what they said in the 1800s. <laughs> say, if, say, he's saying, if you have an issue with your tongue, say, oh, wretched man that I am. And every time you lose your temper, kneel down and understand that it, is never what is, it, it, it never was meant by God that this was to be the state in which his child should remain. Would God that we would take the word into our daily life and say it every time we are touched about our own honor and every time we say sharp things and every time we sin against the Lord God and against the Lord Jesus Christ in his humility and in his obedience and in his self-sacrifice. Would to God you could forget everything else and cry out, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Why should you say this whenever you commit sin? Because it is when a man is brought to this confession that deliverance is at hand. 
Why should you say this whenever you commit sin? Because it is when a man is brought to this confession that deliverance is at hand. And remember, it was not only the sense of being impotent and taken captive that made him wretched, but it was about, it was above all the sense of sinning against his God. The law was doing its work, making sin exceeding sinful in his sight. The thought of continually grieving God became utterly unbearable. Here it is. It was this that brought forth the piercing cry, Oh, wretched man, as long as we talk and reason about our impotence and our failure and only try to find out what Romans 7 means, it will profit us little. But when once every sin gives new intensity to the, to the sense of wretchedness and we feel our whole state as one of not only helplessness, but actual exceeding sinfulness, we shall be pressed not only to ask who shall deliver us. But we to cry, I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Hmm. Self-will, this is what I wrote. Self-will is not the way you overcome sin. Post that. Write it. Self-will is not the way you overcome sin. To will is present, but to perform it is not. You cannot stop at your own will. The will of the creature is nothing but an empty vessel in which the power of God is to be made manifest. Philippians 2. He works in us to will and to do. So. Knowing the law does not allow you to keep the law. Knowing not to touch the stove as a child is not enough for that child not to be tempted to touch the stove. So we've talked about the regenerate man, the impotent, impotent, impotent man, and the wretched man. Now, this part to me is... Such an important, important part, being led by the spirit of God. Okay. Oh, I want to read this before I go there. Um, oh, there's so much to cover. Father, give me grace. Um, the man has tried to obey the beautiful law of God. He has loved it. He has wept over his sin. He has tried to conquer. He has tried to overcome fault after fault. But every time he has, he has, and every time he has ended in failure. What did he mean by the body of this death? This is so important. I'm glad I, I'm going to talk about the body of this death. Because that's what is said in the verse 23. What did he mean by the body of this death? Did he mean my body when I die? Verily, no. In the eighth chapter, you have the answer to this question in the words, if you, through the spirit, do mortify, see that word, mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. That is the body of death from which he is seeking deliverance. 
And now he is on the brink of deliverance. In the 23rd verse of the seventh chapter, we have the words, I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. It is a captive that cries, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He is a man who feels himself bound, but look to the contrast in the second verse of the eighth chapter, the law of the spirit. Everybody say the law of the spirit the law of, the spirit. of life in Christ. Jesus had made me free from the law of sin and death. That is the deliverance through Jesus Christ, our Lord, the liberty to the captive, which the spirit brings. Can you keep captive any longer? A man made free by the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. But you say the regenerate man had not he the spirit of Jesus when he spoke in the sixth chapter? Yes, but he did not know what the Holy Spirit could do for him. God does not work by his spirit as he works by a blind force in nature. He leads his people on a reasonable, intelligent on as reasonable intelligent beings and therefore when he wants to give us that holy spirit whom he has promised he brings us first to the end of self to the conviction that though we have been striving to obey the law we have failed when we have come to the end of that then he shows us that in the holy spirit we have the power of obedience the power of victory and the power of real holiness hmm God works to will and he is ready to work to do. But alas, many Christians misunderstand this. They think that because they have the will, it is enough. And that now they are able to do. This is not so. The new will is a permanent gift and a attribute of the new nature. The power to do is not a permanent gift. But must be each moment received. Hear this. Right, right. I know this is a lot, people. Train, train your spirit. Train your spirit. I know this is a lot. The power to do is not a permanent gift, but must be each moment received from the Holy Spirit. It is the man who is conscious of his own impotence as a believer who will learn that by the Holy Spirit, he can live a holy life. You notice it didn't say you can learn this by turning off your TV. It said by the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. This man is on the brink of that great deliverance. The way has been prepared for the glorious eight chapter. What the Holy Spirit does is to give the victory. If you, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the flesh, you shall live. It is the Holy Ghost who does this, the third person of the Godhead. He it is who, when the heart is opened wide to receive him, comes in and reigns there and mortifies the deeds of the body day by day. Hear this, day by day, hour by hour, and moment by moment. Day by day. Hour by hour, moment by moment. You know, I think of Catherine Coleman, who she said, my friend, my best friend is the Holy Spirit. You cannot live this life day by day, moment by moment, hour by hour, without the Holy Spirit. Day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment. That's what it means. 
like all the time. Like he's not something you pick up. Oh, I'm worshiping. Oh, there's the Holy Spirit. He's here. He's here. He's here. He's here. Okay. Hands down. Announcements. Sermon. Altar call. Oh, there he is again. There he is. There he is. There you go home. You leave the Holy Spirit at the church. You open your computer. And you don't involve the Holy Spirit in you opening that computer or opening that book. Or somebody calls you that gets you so angry that you can't control your temper. You don't involve him. It's just something, he's something you pick up and you put off. No. Y'all, the answer is the Holy Spirit. The answer is the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Remember, dear friend, what we need to come to decision and action. There are in scripture two very different sorts of Christians. Listen to this. The Bible speaks in Romans, Corinthians, and Galatians about yielding to the flesh. And that is the life of tens of thousands of believers. All their lack of joy in the Holy Ghost and their lack of the liberty he gives is just owing to the flesh. The spirit is within them, but the flesh rules the life. To be led by the spirit of God is what they need. Would God that I could make every child of his realize what it means that the everlasting God has given his dear son, Christ Jesus, to watch over you every day. And that what you have to do is to trust. And that the work of the Holy Spirit is to enable you every moment to remember Jesus and to trust him. The spirit has come to keep the link with him unbroken. The link with him unbroken. The link with him unbroken. Every moment. Praise God for the Holy Ghost. We are so accustomed to think of the Holy Spirit as a luxury for special times or for special ministers and men. But the Holy Spirit is necessary for every believer. Every moment of the day. Praise God you have him. And that he gives you the full experience of that deliverance in Christ as he makes you free from the power of sin. This part made me cry. Who longs to have the power and the liberty of the Holy Spirit? Oh, brother. Bow before God in one final cry of despair. Oh God, must I go on sinning this way forever? Who shall deliver me, O wretched man that I am, from the body of this death? Are you ready to sink before God in that cry and seek the power of Jesus to dwell and work in you? Are you ready to say, I thank God through Jesus Christ? What good does it do that we go to church or attend conventions, that we study our Bibles and pray unless our lives are filled with the Holy Spirit? That is what God wants and nothing else will enable us to live a life of power and peace. You know that when a minister or parent is using the catechism, when a question is asked, an answer is expected. Alas, how many Christians are content with the questions put here? Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? But never give the answer. 
Instead of answering, they are silent. Instead of saying, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, they are forever repeating the question without the answer. If you went if you want the path to the full deliverance of Christ and the liberty of the spirit and the glorious liberty of the children of God, take it through the seventh chapter of Romans and then say, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Be not content to remain ever groaning, but say, I, a wretched man, thank God through Jesus Christ. Oh, Do you get this? Do you get this? Um, there's one more thing I want to talk about and I want to elaborate on. I don't know if I'll be able to do all of it today because this is, this is, I want to start it. I mean, man, I've got to start it. Um, Galatians, this next part is talking about having begun in the spirit. Okay, let's go to Galatians. Oh, I'm telling you, I feel the pleading of the Holy Spirit asking us to let him in to be part of what our walk with him is. We're leaving him aside way too quickly. Um, so when you gave your heart to the Lord, when we give our hearts to the Lord, that is a spiritual matter. It has nothing to do with just praying a prayer. It is a spiritual transaction. It happens. And many of us begin in the spirit. How, you, how If I raise your hand and say, how many of you, when you gave your heart to the Lord, you're so gung-ho for Jesus? And, you know, all of us have a different different ways of how we came to the Lord and and we or we go to the altar and we're just excited about it. But when Paul was dealing with the Galatians, he had to reprimand them because there were people that crept into the church and said, you have to be circumcised in order for you to be saved. And Paul was like, having begun in the spirit, now you want to go back to the flesh. You started this walk with God in the spirit. Let's read that part. Um, Galatians, I believe it's Galatians 3. Let's turn to Galatians 3. And this is where... The Lord goes after, yep, Galatians 3. It says here, this one's tiny a little bit. Oh, foolish Galatians, who, had, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish having begun in the spirit? Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? 
Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Did you hear that? I wish, I wish we could read this to all the denominations. Oh, look at this in the Amplified. <laughs> this is painful. It says, oh, you poor and silly and thoughtless and unreflecting and senseless Galatians. Sheesh. Who has fascinated or bewitched you or cast a spell over you unto whom right before your very eyes, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was openly and graphically set forth and portrayed as crucified? Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit as the result of obeying the law and doing its works? Or was it by hearing the message of the gospel and believing it? Was it from observing a law of rituals or from a message or from a message of faith? Are you so foolish and so senseless and so silly? Having begun your new life spiritually with the Holy Spirit, are you now reaching perfection by dependence on the flesh? Does that not describe how we start out with all these denominations? We start out in the spirit. And then we're ending in the flesh. We start out with the Holy Spirit. And you know, I just brought up one thing he brought up. I think he brought it up. He, he was talking about the Holy Spirit. And I thought about the, the, yes, he brings this up. That when we do the altar call, you notice we never talk about the Holy Spirit. Come into my life. Jesus, you died, raised. I believe you. Come into my, but the apostles used to say, receive ye the Holy Spirit. We leave him out. And he's the one that keeps you. As soon as you give your life to Jesus, he's the one. This is what he's saying. He's saying, you can't leave the Holy Spirit out. You can't just pick him up whenever you want to preach. Or somebody invites you to speak somewhere. And then all of a sudden you're talking to the Holy Spirit. He is part of the equation. We begin this by the spirit. We have to end it with the spirit. There's so much. I, I, I'm starting, but y'all, there's so much. I, I, I don't, I don't want to get into this because we'll be here for another hour. But I want to say, I want to say this and then we'll end because I really want to finish this. We have one. I, one more, just one more session. Just one more. It's actually two, but just <laughs> we 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 there's 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 a lot more. There's a lot more. I wrote down. This is the reason why denominations are embraced. This is the reason why false doctrines thrive. Why Christians who give up exists is because they don't realize that they have to be led by the spirit of God. They have to live in the spirit. They have to walk in the spirit. That's the spirit of God is the where we're supposed to be. Denominations turn into a place where you try to maintain your walk in the flesh. Touch not, taste not, and this is not where we're supposed to be. You cannot begin something in the spirit and then maintain it in the flesh. Hmm. 
I can't preach the rest of this. This is too much. I want to, the title of this part is having begun in the spirit. And I want to, I really want to break it down. And I, I don't have time to do it today because I, I dealt, I really wanted to emphasize the impotent man, the regenerated, that you are regenerated. How many Christians feel like they're not saved because they've sinned? They feel like they're just dead. <laughs> that is just, that should just to take your mindset to a whole different level. That makes you want to love him more. That you are regenerated and this war that you're in, there is an answer to it, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I understand why Pastor Nyrell has people, when he meets with them, when years ago, when we used to meet with people, before we had the church, he would say, study Romans 8. Study Romans 8. You fell? That was a really bad fall. Study Romans 8. Because... Romans 8, it's like the boom. It's like the, the, the bomb that goes off and levels everything. You have an issue with your flesh? Memorize Romans 8. And we're going to talk about Romans 8. We're going to talk about having begun in the spirit, not staying in the flesh. Not staying in the flesh. You have to stay in the spirit. And he talks about that in Galatians. Whew, was this, I mean, I don't, I mean, y'all, y'all, I really want you to get this. This is so important for us to live a victorious life in him. And then the next part I was talking about, uh, that I'm about to talk about, having begun in the spirit, those of you that think you're you're doing all right, you know, especially first love. You know, we do a lot in first love. You know, we work with sex traffic victims, homeless, all of that. And when you're doing like that, you think you're okay. <laughs> you think you're okay. You think you're just doing and everybody's complimenting you. Oh, we just love your heart. You're so awesome. Now we're like Peter. We're like Peter. We are, our self is very, very strong. I could tell when I, somebody's self is very, very strong. As leaders, you know, as pastors, we have to tell people, listen, hey, you need to shape up. You need to, this is what you need to do. And then people will tell us several things. There's many things they'll say. Yeah, I know. The Lord has been dealing with me about that. Really? Before I brought it up. <laughs> I know. Yeah, trust me. God is dealing with me. I'm like, really? Huh? Okay. Let me see how this plays out. We just get, oh, I know. I know I'm supposed to change. I know. That, I know, drives me nuts. Don't tell me you know and you haven't changed. Don't say I know. Because when you say you know, imagine God standing there and you're telling him you know. 
So what you're saying is you know the right to do, but you don't do it, which what Romans 7 says. But the answer is to walk in the spirit. You cannot leave him out. I love the book that Benny Hinn wrote years ago because when I was 15 years old, 16, I read the book, Good Morning, Holy Spirit. And I used to wake up saying, Good Morning, Holy Spirit. And talk to the Holy Spirit and have him be a part of my life when I was a teenager. Then life, you grow up, you become a young adult, you're in college, you're hungry for him, you're doing things, all of that. And then you get married and then you, you're like, oh, where did I drop the Holy Spirit? Where is he at? Oh, there he is. Oh, it's in the worship. Oh, it's when I'm preaching. Oh, it's, he has to be in our everyday life. And so I will talk about that next. This, the last, this, these last two parts, I, you know, I said, you know, I keep saying this is the most important part. It's all important. But this, this one of having begun in the spirit, you end up in the flesh, is a bane for all of us. It's easy for us to do stuff in the flesh. When we start in the spirit, and then you end up in the flesh. And Paul is like, ain't there's no way. There's no way. Can't do it. There's no way. So I am praying that you take this once again, that you don't just lay it down. You study it. It's for you to take and study, get notes, write it down, allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you. As you're going through your week, I said Romans 5, 6, 7, 8. Really, all of Romans, but just let's focus on 5, 6, 7, and 8 for now. 5, 6, 7, 8. Just study it, study it, review it, read it. Let it be part of your vocabulary. And notice how many times the Holy Spirit is mentioned. The Spirit of God is mentioned. He is a helper. That's his name. He's paraclete. He's one called alongside to help. So if you have a helper, somebody that's supposed to help you with sin, somebody is supposed to help you with ministering to people, somebody is supposed to help you free you from your fears. He is along. He's right there with you. He's right here and right now. He's not sitting outside waiting for you to come out of church. He's there right now. Utilize him. Use him. He's there for you. Thank you so much for listening. Your generous support enables us to continue to fulfill our mission to win the church to Christ through unceasing prayer, intentional discipleship, and missional living. You can offer additional financial support by texting 918-300-4680 or by going to our website at wearefirstlove.com. Until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Jesus, the Son of God, our Savior. Always remember your first love. Amen.